Godzilla, king of the monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Welcome to episode 316 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, or as I sometimes call it, the podcast devoted to all of my weird, crazy, eclectic obsessions. Monster Kid Radio, I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm excited because uh, we've got another new voice on the show. We've got a new voice and a new band. Let's talk about the music that you heard at the beginning of the show and you're probably still hearing in the background right now. The band is Doily and the Twang Lords. It's from their upcoming album, Twang Solo, from Diablo Records. They're based out of London, and this album, as of right now, you can pre-order it from the Diablo Records Bandcamp page. It's diablorecordsuk.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes to pre-order this album and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to them for letting us play their music here on the show. Now, that song kicked off with a little bit from the Godzilla King of the Monsters trailer, which I love. I love my monster movie trailers. Long-time listeners know, short-time listeners know, because I'm always playing them, and I'm going to play them again in this episode as well. But I wanted to do the Godzilla thing. I wanted to talk a little bit more about giant monsters. Did a little bit of that last week. I want to do it some more this week, because we've got Mark Bailey on the show. And Mark is the man behind Foxtrot Studios. You can find him at foxtrotstudios.net, where he has put up a handful of of pretty fun little animations, little movies you can check out, and the New York City Giant Monsters Attack map. This is a really cool project. He's taken New York, and well, you know what? I'm not going to tell you now, because Mark's going to tell you later. We're going to talk about it in this episode. But first, we have some feedback. Hey, guys, it's Rod from the Nashy Cast and the Bloody Pit Podcast. Hey, how's it going? Listen, uh, Derek, I finally got around because I'm always weeks behind on my podcast listening to hearing the, uh, let's see, episode uh, 312, uh, the one with uh, you and Court Psyops covering Bride of Frankenstein. I, of course, love Bride of Frankenstein, although it is not my favorite of the Universal Frankenstein films. It's, uh, it's up there, don't get me wrong, but I actually lean very heavily towards Son of Frankenstein. I just think it's a better film overall. I'm, I'm pausing because I'm assuming at this point I'm, I, there are boos being hurled at me. But nevertheless, Bride of Frankenstein is a great film. Uh, I love almost all of it. Almost all of it. Yes, that's a tag for a conversation in the future. Rod from the Nashy cast, also from Monster Kid Radio episode number 286, which we did last year and talked about the movie Wild Wild Planet. Rod, thank you for calling in. Really appreciate your comments and your feedback. And, you know, Bride of Frankenstein... It is so, so good. But yeah, Son of Frankenstein, it's really good too. And it's got that one missing ingredient. And I'm talking about Bela Lugosi. However, in terms of quirkiness and just really out there thinking, Bride, I think, is a more inventive and creative sequel. Son's a little bit more straightforward, but it's still just as good. Ah, man, I suppose it depends on what day of the week you catch me. I'm going to tell you which one I think is the best. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Son is fantastic. But then so is Bride. So is the original. 
Anyway, Rod continued in his voicemail. You and Court did an excellent job together. I, being a big fan of both your podcast and Court's amazing Cinema PsyOps podcast, I was a little leery of how the two of you would mix because you're from, you're from very different ends of the podcasting spectrum uh, in some ways. Uh, Court leans into the R-rated territory, um, occasionally a little little deeper into the R than I'm even comfortable with myself. But uh, that's all well and good. I was really surprised. You guys melded beautifully. It sounded great. It was really good combination of the two of you. It was uh, it was like uh, uh, chocolate and peanut butter. Uh, it was uh, it was. I don't need that analogy to go any further because I'm now picturing chocolate bunnies filled with peanut butter. We're gonna stop that analogy right there because it benefits no one, no one at all. But really, you guys were great together. I suggest that uh, you and Court do more episodes in the future. Maybe talk about other Universal films that you like, because obviously you both love Creature from the Black Lagoon, but then again, everybody loves Creature from the Black Lagoon. How can you not love Creature from the Black Lagoon? You'd have to be some kind of insane person. But maybe you talk about Hammer films, or maybe you talk about something else, because you guys are great together. Good combination. I would like to touch on the idea that uh, you guys touched on just briefly, which was the idea of um, preferring podcasts on these subjects of our favorite cult films uh, to skew in one direction or the other, away from, uh, away from or toward the idea of deep analytical, uh, maybe even philosophical musings on the underpinnings of the films and filmmakers' intent or filmmakers' uh, lack of intent, but the, the, the things that come about because art is what it is, or just a couple of people or two or three people talking about the reasons why they like the movie. Uh, I like having a combination of those two. That's always what I've kind of tried to do with the Nashi cast and the Bloody Pit, is to have a combination of the, of the uh, uh, I would say, gushing over films that you really, really enjoy and that you're hoping to uh, encourage other people to seek out as well, and uh, trying to bring uh, background material, background information, uh, production notes, ideas about uh, what... Uh, was in the heads of some of the people crafting these movies and making them what they are. Uh, I like a combination of the two, and it's it's kind of interesting when um, you get a, a melding of those two kinds. Kind of like that peanut butter and chocolate analogy that I was I was dancing around earlier that I want to back away from again. You guys were great. I loved the episode. I think you guys ought to do more episodes just like that. Just about, you know, different films. Don't keep talking about Bride of Frankenstein. You guys are going to tap that vein until it's dry. If y'all did another episode, I'm going to leave that alone, too, because obviously that's not what you would plan to do. That's just really silly. Maybe cover the Mole Men. How's that? That's a good idea. You could talk John Agar. You could talk about how weird that movie is and how odd the ending is. That's, that's, that's good territory. But, Derek, keep up the great work. Monster Kid Radio continues to be an absolute joy. And I've still got a couple episodes I've got to catch up on. As you can tell, I'm a little behind. But keep it up. It's great. Thank you. This is Rod, and I will talk to you again soon. I really enjoyed chatting with Court as well. And when the dust kind of settles with everything going on in my personal life right now, he is in the group of people that I need to reach out to about either scheduling or rescheduling 
an appearance here on Monster Kid Radio. I had a blast chatting with him, and I think I'm in that camp where I feel like if you are able to download a podcast, you're probably savvy enough to be able to pull up a movie on Wikipedia or the Internet Movie Database. So I don't want to just regurgitate that information. I don't mind diving into some of the more, I don't know, production elements of the film. But really, what Monster Kid Radio is all about is celebrating the fandom of these movies. So yes, it's fascinating to kind of look at things uh, beyond just, oh, I like that movie, you know, just really kind of, what kind of voice was that? Anyway, just to really dive into you know, what these movies can mean and can symbolize. What was the filmmaker's intent? What is the message we can get from these movies now as we watch them through modern eyes? Or what historical context is there? It's just fascinating to me, and I kind of get the feeling it's fascinating to a lot of you guys and gals as well. So thank you. And Rod, Thanks for your kind words about Monster Kid Radio. It means a lot. Listeners, Rod is one of the mainstays when it comes to genre podcasting. His Nashy cast, which I'm going to play a promo for here in a little bit, is the resource for all things Paul Nashy, as well as Spanish and European horror. I mean, the, the guy knows his stuff. Him and his co-host, Troy, they have broadened my mind so much to the films of Paul Nashy. I do want to have Rod on the show down the line again because... And you know how I mentioned I have a group of people I'm going to be reaching out to about getting them back on the show. Rod is on that list because there's three more movies in that Gamma One series of films that I want to talk about. And I'd love to have him along for the ride for that to hold my hand as we go through those films. Plus, I probably should know better, but I'm planning a theme month in September. I'm not going to tell people what it is in case it falls apart, but... Rod has agreed to be part of that theme month for at least one week, one episode. So that'll be happening too. Rod, thanks for calling in, or I guess sending me that MP3, which listeners, you can do. You don't have to just send me a regular email to read or a voicemail through the Google voicemail line. You can always email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, a recording, and I can just drop you in the episode and there you go. Before we dive into the conversation that I am having with Mark Bailey, I want to take a moment and just thank everybody for everybody's understanding and support. As I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, as I've mentioned on Facebook and other places online, my little brother, Kevin Charles Cook, passed away uh, last Friday night. It would have been on the 14th of April, exactly one month before his 39th birthday. Um, and it really kind of messed me up and, and it still messes me up quite a bit. Um, my relationship with my brother was complicated, but I loved him. And uh, one of the very last things that I said to him was, actually, now that I think about it, the very last thing I said to him was a text message where I told him I was proud of him because he was taking care of some things that needed to be taken care of. And I, I regret that I wasn't always the best big brother to him in recent years, but I have a lot of very fond and happy memories involving my brother from growing up. And it just means a lot to know that I've got a virtual family, a virtual community of people out there listening to the podcast, uh, friends with me on Facebook, sending me emails or calling, texting, sending cards. It just means a lot to know that you guys and gals are out there for me. I hope to get this episode out around the 26th or 27th as normal. However, I am recording this before I fly down to Arizona for services for my brother. So the next bit of recording you're going to hear is probably actually going to be after I got back from Arizona. But yeah, again, I hope it gets out on time. Thank you for your patience. If it didn't, if it did, well, thanks for listening, I guess. So big thanks to you guys and girls. And big thanks to Mark Bailey, who 
understood that I ended up reshuffling the schedule a little bit. This episode was actually going to go out last week, but check out last week's episode to understand why I changed the schedule around. All right, let's get back to what we do here at Monster Kid Radio. Talking about classic monster movies, sometimes not so classic monster movies. Talking to people who love these movies, like Mark Bailey. And you're going to hear from him right after this. Oh, and uh, by the way, a couple of times Mark congratulates me on winning the Rondo. Because I'm recording this before the winners of this year's Rondos were announced, I don't know who won. I really hope that all of my friends that were up for Rondos, I hope they took home the award. I did win the Rondo a couple of years ago. It meant a lot to me to know that I had so many people backing me up and supporting MKR. So thanks for that. By the time I get back from Arizona, hopefully the winners will have been announced. Okay, uh, now to Mark, right after this. ago in the barony of Frankenstein, a monster created by man stalked through the country, being and killing. In time, Frankenstein, maker of the monster, died. The monster disappeared. Now, after 20 years, the son of Frankenstein returns, and fear grips the village anew. A man tainted by the blood of his father can forget his human soul and carry on the diabolical work of the Frankenstein. As a man, I should destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, Universal Son of Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. Basil Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions. In his mind, the monster mania. Alive. Alive, you mean? Yes, alive, but alive. I thought you said our experiments. I know, I know. I too thought that we failed, but we haven't. I've actually seen it walk. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Lugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil. You see that? They hanged me once. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. One doesn't easily forget, Herr Baron. An arm torn out of the roots. Josephine Hutchinson, her young beauty a magnet to the menace around her. I hate it here, Wolf. I'm terribly afraid all the time. By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes. Now, what is it that qualifies two Southern boys to talk about 
films that came out of Spain, and I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. nothing. Except that we just love, love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashi Cast yeah. covers the films of Paul Nashi and any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. <laughs> yes. If you love beautiful women wearing incredibly short miniskirts in subarctic temperatures <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love werewolves, vampires, unidentifiable beasts, or crazy people driving women around and talking like a maniac. <laughs> yes, flying cats, beheadings with axes. <laughs> Blood that looks Sham- like melted crayons. Shambling zombies, yeah. Some of the films that we've covered in the past are Mark of the Werewolf. How of the Devil. Vengeance of the Zombies. Or Arises from the Tomb. Tombs of the Blind Dead. Vampire's Night Orgy. Ooh, yes. Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror where Paul Nashi, Leon Klamowski, Jess Franco, Amando Diasorio take us through a filter Espanol. Join us for the Nashi cast. Join in the incredible adventures of a group of astronauts and a newspaper reporter as they travel through space from Mars to Venus in Assignment Outer Space. Join in the breathtaking suspense, terrifying drama as they attempt to intercept and destroy Alpha 2, a man-made terror out of control and about to disintegrate the Earth with its photonic rays. Watch the seeds of love blossom thousands of miles in outer space. Fly with them into the infinite void as they daringly attempt to rescue a doomed astronaut. Tension will overtake you as they try an impossible landing on the satellite Phobos against the fantastic gravitational force of 20 Gs. Headlines of tomorrow. Don't miss this motion picture of the future in superb Technicolor. Assignment Outers. Hi, this is Joshua Kennedy, director of Attack of the Octopus People, Dracula AD 2015, and the Vesuvius Experiment. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Enjoy. I've got another new voice for Monster Kid Radio, but he's been listening to the show for a while, and we've been communicating on Facebook back and forth. He's always sharing with me his cartoons and his artwork, and, you know, we got to have him on the show. He's a Monster Kid. He loves the kind of stuff that we do. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Derek. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. It's nice to finally meet you. That's right. We've been chatting off mic for like half an hour now. It's been, you'd, we'd probably just hang out, you know, if you weren't on one side of the country and I wasn't on the other. Yeah, you know? <laughs> we would definitely, this is Starbucks quality conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually having tea and I think you're having coffee across the country. Well, I mean, you know, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. I got to do my coffee. Come on. You do. You do. It's a home, <laughs> a home of the holy bean. You know, on the other hand, though, it's probably a good thing we're nowhere near each other because we'd just be hanging out talking monster movies all day and never get anything done. Yeah, I would lose my job. Yeah, yeah, me too. I would lose my job and we would be have very upset spouses uh, saying, you know, you really got to keep this stuff in check. <laughs> like, but, but he's cool and he's fun. I know. And, right. <laughs> but there's a movie. We got to go see a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I know. We have to go see this movie. <laughs> so you've been listening to the show for a little while. I caught up on all your back episodes mm-hmm. since about June. I was averaging about uh, two or three episodes 
a week and then it was like one a day and I finally I was just on a mission to I'm an obsessive completist so I had to listen to the entire uh, MKR catalog and I really have felt like I've made friends with you and a lot of your guests and it's very cool you you have a lot of opinions on there and a lot of differing opinions and people are really nice and you guys have expanded my film vocabulary for this quasi low budget subgenre. So that's great. You know, I take a lot of what I learned from MKR and try to spin it into my own personal conversations, you know, give you guys credit, of course. Oh, I heard this on MKR. <laughs> so great. Great stuff. Thank you so much. And congratulations on the Rondo. Uh, that, that is very well earned. Well, thank you. you have been tireless in trying to provide this consistent entertainment. So, and you've actually, and you've broadcast through being sick a few times. Well, you know. That's hard. You know, the monster machine can't stop just because I'm, my body's trying to. So, you, know, <laughs> you got to keep it going. Right. Right. Monster movies for the soul. That's what it is. <laughs> I think I had recommended that you just need to lay down and have some chicken soup and watch a monster movie with your cats. Mm -hmm. That's just very good medicine. It is. It is. You know, you said something a second ago. I, I feel like I need to apologize. You said you're an obsessive completist. Yeah. Man, <laughs> how many movies have I talked about on this show that you've since purchased and added to your collection and, and quite a few. Made, your, yeah, made your wallet take the hit? I, I'm so sorry. Quite, quite a few. I have to say, there may be a few people who weren't as informed as others, but really, a fact checker would have a very hard time pulling your show apart. Uh, it, it has largely been very accurate with your recommendations and observations and you know, actors and actresses and hmm. monster movies. and So that's really, you guys do your homework. I'm going to attribute that to all the guests who come on. Every, every time I have somebody on, they always teach me something new. And, and you've taught me quite a bit. Uh, just with the communication we've had on Facebook, I, I want to talk about your New York City giant monster attack map because it's it's awesome. It's really cool. I love but before we do that, Mark, you know, there's something we do every time we have a new person on the show. And you asked me about it off mic. Of course, we're going to do it. Mark Bailey, you want to play the Classic Five? I would love to play the Classic Five, Derek. Right on. Lay it on me. Hit me with your laser beam. <laughs> so for anybody who isn't aware of the Classic Five, I've got a deck of cards here. Shuffle it for, for dramatic effect. I've got a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a yes or no, this or that style question. There's no wrong answer. It's all about classic monster movie stuff. It's designed to let the listeners know a little bit more about the guests. So here we go. We're going to start with our first card right off the top. <laughs> Did not plan this one. What's your favorite Big Bug monster movie? I will go with them. Oh, it's so good. Watch out for them, a menace never known to man or beast before, an endless horde of crawling, crushing, gigantic creatures, so horrifying there was no word to describe them. Watch out for them, watch out for Warner Brothers' screaming new shock sensation, them. Yes, I saw them, they were huge and scaly and they had gigantic jaws and, and then one came at me. <laughs> Kill one and two take its place. This is the endless onslaught of them clawing up out of the earth from mile-deep catacombs. See them. The most astounding journey into terror ever taken. Starring James Whitmore, Edmund Gwen, Joan Weldon, and James Arness. Them. A non-New York City giant bug movie. I like them. That's a very well-made giant ant film. It's so funny because that one, it's not Universal. I mean, Universal did Tarantula, Deadly Mantis, but them really kind of is the one that can't be topped. 
very good practical effects. Oh, man, so good. There are a number of moments in that film that really hold up. Very good actors, good story, and I have a science fiction history book, and they actually showed the armature of one of the ants on a rigging of the back of a truck, and they would just pull the truck back and forth because these things were huge. These these ants, sure. you know, the, the creations were you know, ten feet long. I th- I just I love them ever since I was a kid. It's a great film, it's, and scary, and still holds up. It is all right. And that sound. Oh man, that sound that does it right. That that puts it over the top. It does. Okay, card number two. Oh, this is from the new deck. All right. So we've seen right. Mechagodzilla and Mechanicong. What other giant monsters should have had a robotic counterpart? What other robotic? I'll go with a Mecha Gamera. Oh, that'd be fun. That's just weird enough to work. I would love to see what his shell would look like in a mechanized form and you know, how they would handle the tusks, how they would handle those big teeth of his, you know, and how they would handle his propulsion and flight and all that stuff. So, I mean, technically he is, according to the modern Gamera films, he already is like quasi-robotic or a creature of Atlantis but mm-hmm. but no I think a Mecha Gamera could be really neat so I'm going to stick to that one I'm sure listeners right now are looking at deviant art trying to find somebody who's already done a version of that I, I would love to see that done <laughs> uh, I, I think the shell would be cool <laughs> I saw a costume of that actually at G-Fest once oh, and wow. the kid did a pretty good job um, it was the G-Fest if, if anyone can go please do uh, it's in Chicago and a lot of young people will try to stitch together their own monster costumes. And for young people, it's an amazing job. And the way they stick to to finishing this in time for the costume contest is very impressive. So I, I try to support the uh, young people. Right on. All right, card number, so, uh, number three. Card number three. Who else should have played Frankenstein's monster? Who else should have played Frankenstein's monster? Um... Sir Alec Guinness. <laughs> wow. I think he would have done an absolutely uh, bang up job and would take it into com- some different directions. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he probably knew some of the gentlemen from the Hammer films, but yeah, I would go with Sir Alec Guinness. I'm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as a kid who grew up watching and idolizing Star Wars, I'm, I'm just having a, right. you know, Wow. And knowing that he wasn't really a big genre fan, uh, at least with Star Wars anyway. Right. Wow. I'm just trying to imagine what he would have done. The guy could do anything. Oh, he, he, yeah. he, you know, he could play a soup spoon and win an Oscar for it. it it's, he's a very immensely talented actor. And um, instead of you know doing King Lear or Shakespeare, I'm like, no, no, let him try the monster. Let, let, let's, let's see what he can do with this. <laughs> and uh, that was a really fun idea. I like it. Right. Right. All right. So what character from a classic monster movie should host a late-night talk show. What character from a late-night monster movie should host a talk show? I would go with The Invisible Man or The Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> Immediately, that's such a fun question. It's kind of silly, and um, I'm reminded of The Munsters, which I adore. That's such a fun TV show, mm-hmm. and when the uh, there was an uncle who showed up who was dressed like the creature from The Black Lagoon. So. Uncle Gilbert. Yeah, yep. I could picture Uncle Gilbert. I think there's a horror host. It was a gill man who basically wears like a really bad jacket and he has the gill hands and the and the gill mask on and he puts glasses on top of it. So he's kind of like your, you know, a schlubby uncle who actually, you know, has his own show. <laughs> so, 
And then the Invisible Man, you can have a lot of a lot of pranks about. Well, I can't see him. How am I? No, you're not looking at me. You know, I'm over here. I would go with one of those too. Well, the Invisible Man, you see, hear his voice talking. But yeah, I <laughs> bring on the Gill Man. I can always, I can always use more Gilman. Uh, Professor Gil Gilman is the name of the horror host down in Florida. He's funny. And he's uh, funny. I, I don't. Oh, he's great. Right. He's great. I'm very, very selective in my uh, horror host, but that guy is genuinely funny. He just all he has to do is just put on the costume and just like walk through a pharmacy, and it's funny, you know, with this odd-looking creature walking through and buying aspirin, <laughs> and it just what well, you even yeah, you're giggling. So it works. Yep. And also, lastly, as a classic monster, I'm going to say Godzilla 1954 is too big to fit in the studio. They can't. He just couldn't handle <laughs> that kind of work. <laughs> you know, and then the radiation poisoning, uh, it's just, it's messy. Invisible <laughs> Man or the Gill Man. Right on. All right. Final card. Final question. What is your go-to film to introduce someone to classic monster movies? Go-to film. King Kong, 1933. Oh, good choice. I, I feel that has the right amount of appeal and it's classic and it doesn't go over the top in any one direction. The, the actors and actresses are nice to look at. The monster effects are cool. It doesn't really hit you over the face. The movie was incredibly well made. The filmmakers, they had budget issues. They had to be very careful. I mean, it was just like the building of the Sistine Chapel of monster movies in the fact that they did this great piece of film during uh, the depression. And I think it could be attractive to a lot of people like, no, no, it's also a classic movie and it's, it's, it's also a love story and it's also a special effects film. And it also has a really fun dialogue. So I think the uninitiated would find that a little more appealing than some of the other uh, blood soaked uh, DVDs that I have in my collection. So so I'll go King Kong, 1933. I cannot argue with that. It's darn near a perfect film. It, is, it helps set the, uh, the the bar very high mm -hmm. for monster films. Well, that is the classic five. How do you feel, Mark? I feel pretty good. Um, I've always wondered how I would do. Um, I guess time will tell. And if the if the public starts uh, sending me bags of manure ah. um, in the mail, then I know I didn't answer the question. Ah, right. no, no wrong answers. No wrong answers. <laughs> no, no. no, 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 no. That's why I like MKR. Everyone, get, you got a really cool audience. I'm one of them. That's oh, why. Oh, and cool guests. And now you're one of them, too. Thank you, sir. So when you reached out to me, uh, you wanted to share with me your website over at Foxtrot Studios. That's foxtrotstudios.net. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to this. Oh, thank you so much. You've been an artist and animator for how long now? I've been uh, releasing a short film a year since 2003. Wow. And um, I'm doing this as a part-time effort. Yeah, I'm an amateur animator, filmmaker, film hobbyist, and self-appointed giant monster film historian. Ooh, okay. Those are all fancy words for I don't make any money at this. <laughs> this is a labor of love. I was trying to figure out how you put that on your resume. You know, that, how does that work? <laughs> right. I don't put it on my resume. But no, I have a, you know, I, I work full-time as a graphic designer in the New York City area, and I would get up an hour early every day and work on my films, work on my creations just to make sure that it gets done and slowly but surely these films would get finished and I would produce a one cartoon one short animated film a year that would be between two and a half minutes to seven minutes long and in the true monster kid tradition I try to include at least one monster in every cartoon sometimes it's monster heavy and sometimes it's almost lacking and you have to look for it 
but you know, I will work it in there. You know, listeners, I told Mark earlier uh, while we were testing levels and all that, that I will go to his website and pull up his cartoons and have them running in the background at work. And I just love having just monstrous stuff around me everywhere I can go. Even if I'm at a day job that has nothing to do with monster movies or classic monster, classic horror, any of that. I just love having that around me. I mean, you should see my desk. I've got action figures everywhere. But to have a new video and... Do you have a favorite? Do I have a favorite cartoon of yours? Yeah. I like Demon Rex a lot just because, you know... I'm, that was that was recent. My tribute to Devil Dinosaur. Uh, yep. So what is it? A nine-issue comic book series drawn by the great Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. I didn't like Jack Kirby as a kid. I thought everyone looked like very blocky and you know, all, the, all this... The head looked very square and then... I just landed on one of the issues of Devil Dinosaur because I collected the old Marvel Godzilla comic and it just kind of stuck with me and it became something that I would try to find all these back issues. So. Great. Thank you. No, thank you for watching. No, I like Demon Rex and I like my cat just because I'm a cat person. Right. So, you know, any, anytime I can work some cat stuff in, because that's the other thing I have on my computer, plenty of pictures of my cat. Right. So, right, right. <laughs> I've got my cats and my monsters. <laughs> You know, surrounding me pretty much everywhere I go. So to have this kind of stuff just kind of playing in the background, every once in a while somebody will walk by and and stop and it's like, what are you you looking at? It's monster stuff. Check it out. And they're like, oh, okay, Derek. And they roll their eyes and move on because they're used to that kind of thing from me these days. But I love having it up and running. So listeners, check that out. But the thing that I want to talk about today is the New York City giant monster attack map, which I believe is the first thing you reached out to me about when we first started communicating on Facebook. This is a heck of a project. I'm really impressed by this. Thank you so much. What you've done, and I want to make sure that I describe it correctly, New York is apparently the stomping ground for many, many monsters, giant monsters, for whatever reason. And you've gone through and you've taken uh, some classic movies, some movies from the 80s like Ghostbusters and even some lower budget stuff like some of the Asylum films and marked on a map of New York that you've drawn where the monster attacks happened. And if you go to, let's see, I'm on the Deadly Mantis page right now. If you go there and just kind of scroll over the big monster footprint, you can see stills from the movie where these movies set these scenes, or in the case of the Deadly Mantis, where they may have set these scenes or approximated their location. How long did it take you to go through and and just watch these movies and, and figure out, okay, Deadly Mantis was here, here, and here. King Kong took place here and here. And how many times did you have to watch an asylum film? Being a monster kid, I knew a lot about these films already. I knew Ghostbusters, Mm -hmm. obviously, was set in New York City, and there was extensive research about particular locations. So that was easy. And watching these movies over again is really not that hard. That's not a big task. You know, I, I sit in bed and watch these films for 20 minutes a night and then conk out. And then when I start to get down to the map, I will zero in on the particular scene and try to narrow that scene down to a specific location and then mark it with a monster footprint on the map for that particular movie. Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, I just knew a lot about the locations of where these monster attacks happen. So it wasn't really that hard to do the research. When I see that you've included on the same map, Deadly Mantis and the giant claw, yeah, I know. I'm talking to a brother. You know, I'm yeah, yeah. Giant, the Deadly Madness is, is is a good movie. The animatronic bug. It was a puppet. You know, I can only imagine the thing might have been maybe five or six feet long, and it whether it be pneumatics or you know then 1950s robotic armatures, 
very low low tech, but they made a good monster. It was it was a heck of a lot of fun. And the model work in that film when the when the creature at the end was in the Manhattan tunnel and beating up all these cars and buses, it was absolutely fascinating model work and, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners would love to go back in time and just to be there quietly and watch these guys do their thing and to see how much craftsmanship went into this. The Giant Claw, it's actually not a half bad film, but the monster is so dumb looking and the, that that, rah, 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 that that sound effect is just so <laughs> iconic now and it's become, it's I, I don't like to be cliche, it's, oh, it's so bad, it's good. I really don't care for that, but that movie still has a you know a very warm, warm place in my heart. It's a heck of a lot of fun. The, where they really missed the boat is that they put so much effort into making a dumb-looking bird that if they actually took the time and looked at artists and creators of the day, they could have actually made a decent-looking monster and not spent another dime. You know, they made all of this effort to have this bird with strings and the, the, the nose was articulated and it was actually kind of a uh, an impressive creation that looks dumb but the movie is it's a heck of a lot of fun it's something most of us own i love it i think it's a great time it's a fun film it is and i don't think it, as of the time of this recording people have heard it on the show but recently i was talking about the giant claw with somebody for a recording and maybe it's already gone out anyway we we're talking about it and it's silly and it is kind of goofy this monster looks you can't tell me that if you looked out the window right now and saw that coming you wouldn't be scared yeah you know you know that's (laughs) like okay i'm dead you know this thing that is that you know the the, this thing that is bigger than the empire state building is going to come by and turn me into uh, a little snack i'm dead that's it that's awful i'm dead exactly no it's a it's a fun film and it's something that i do plan on talking about here on the show sometime this year i've got a couple people that have you know, lined up that I want to talk to about the giant claw because I love all these movies. A giant claw summit. I think you could have, you could have a number of uh, of your your best guests on there to talk about you know the, <laughs> <laughs> this this summit meeting. Giant of, claw summit. The giant, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Giving that movie more attention than it ever got while it was in theaters. It deserves it though. I'm I'm still glad people are talking about it. Here it is, over 50 years since that film came out. And, you know, it was made in 57. That's great. That It's 60 years now. How many other movies, genre, or well, non-genre movies, even from that era, you know, quote-unquote serious films, do people talk about on a semi-regular basis? You know, this movie has, yeah. for better or worse, you know, at least for us, it's withstood the test of time. I mean, we, right. we think about that monster. It's an iconic-looking monster. As silly as it is, mm-hmm. it's still pretty cool. Yeah, and that that monster, the giant claw, is always referenced on a, a size. If you get a different scale of all the different giant monsters, and a lot of kaiju films and Godzilla films, and they always talk about you know the many different Godzillas have doubled, maybe even tripled in size, and then scaled back down, and then they'll always throw a giant claw in there as a reference, and they'll line them all up, and you'll see. Oh, look, the giant claw is you know the the same size as a Godzilla from you know 1972 or whatever. It's always been a popular point of reference in scale. The silhouette alone is is interesting. So right. to have that thrown in there, one of the, I, I've seen charts like that where they compare like King Kong, Godzilla, Ghidra, and then more yep. of the American monsters. And Giant Claw is always in there again. It's yep. got that unique silhouette and profile. It's 
the Monster Marathon. Now all in one gigantic show. Three of the newest and most exciting monster hits starring Earth champion and protector Godzilla. First thrill the Godzilla on Monster Island with more monsters than have ever appeared on the screen at one time. Then it's the action-packed Godzilla versus the cosmic monster. And finally, the classic Godzilla versus Megalon. All three in one colossal show. Rated G. You mentioned the Godzilla movies. You grew up as a Godzilla kid, right? That, that was kind of your your entry point for monster yep. movies? America's favorite babysitter. Uh, my parents would park me in front of the TV and my brother and I watched a lot of Godzilla films. I think my grandfather took my dad to see Rodan in the theaters. Ooh. And, and uh, isn't that cool? And, uh, oh, man. yeah. So I, I believe my father took me to see Gene Roddenberry speak when just after the show was canceled or he was doing a speaking tour in the early seventies. And I remember seeing him at a college. So there were a lot of monster movies on TV when, when they were available, you know, we only had like 11 channels. So when the monster movie was on, my brother and I would just be sitting there and drooling. They, those were imprinted on me from a very young age. Nice. You have a particular favorite uh, Godzilla film or kaiju film that every time it comes on, it just takes you right back to watching it on that television there? There are a number of moments in Ghidra, the three-headed monster, that will bring me right back to when I was a kid and just remembering where I saw it, remembering something about the the time that was there, You know, the, the, whether it be the, the early 70s. Ghidra! The three-headed monster battles Godzilla. Mothra and Rodan for the world. All new, all never to be forgotten. See Ghidra, the three-headed monster. For some reason, there are some moments in that movie that will do exactly as you say, just bring me back to those moments. And their movies are incredibly colorful. The monsters are were, were gigantic constructions that had to be wired, and the people inside the, the costume could barely see a thing. The suits were incredibly heavy, and you needed athletes that were incredibly skinny that could fit in the costume, yet do all this work and and sweat incredibly and not pass out and still be able to act like a monster on film. There's definitely an art to, to being in that, those suits, especially at the beginning of the Godzilla run when they didn't really know, <laughs> you know, just how much work. Yeah, wow. First costume was like 200 pounds, and the, the actor couldn't do it. It was just too heavy. They made it a good-looking monster, but it was just too uh, physically uh, demanding to have, you know, cinder blocks tied to your legs and arms and uh, be able to move around and, you know, Man. do monstrous things. So you grew up in the East Coast area, in the New York area. Then. Correct. I grew up in the suburbs of New York City. New York City was always on our mind, if you will, and it's something, you know, you would routinely go visit New York and go see, you know, a ball game or a play or a museum. We saw a lot of museums as kids. And um, you knew that big buildings were not that far away. Why is it you think then, I mean, you growing up in New York, being around this architecture, being around the buildings and the atmosphere and the people, most of the movies, so these monster movies, or just movies in general, they're not made in New York. They're made in LA, or in the cases of the kaiju films, they're made in Tokyo or Japan. Right. Why are filmmakers using New York as their stomping ground for their giant monsters then when you know, they've got their own backyard to play in. Um, New York is very iconic. New York isn't getting destroyed nearly as much in film as it used to. True. So that's well, within within the Monster Kid era, you know, if we're ending in 1968, yeah, it happened a lot. But my best guess is that it seems to be a place that a lot of people want to visit. You know, why are a lot of movies 
set in New York City, not just monster films, which is kind of fascinating. And it's just very iconic. I guess it's a place that people want to visit, and it makes for a very cool monster movie to have the scale, to have a monster next to a big building. You're like, wow, that's big. And if you do that in a cornfield, you don't, <laughs> you kind of lose the scale. And like, like, hey, there's just there's something weird out in that cornfield. Anyway, you know, it just doesn't work. <laughs> so I can see that being like an architecture thing, especially I suppose in the fifties right. and sixties. You know, th- that's where right. the big buildings were. Was New York? So yeah, that makes sense. I think when we were talking earlier off mic, we King Kong nineteen thirty three set the bar very high monster movies and they decided to put it in new york city and they used uh the newly constructed empire state building which might have been on everyone's mind uh during the years of making that film and they had newfangled airplanes in that film it might have also added to this need this desire to put it in new york city put it in new york city you know let's have a monster wreck something there it's a it is just a fascinating coincidence and um so far my collection of movies for the giant monster attack map. I have not found the bottom of that reservoir yet. I keep on finding more movies that are set in New York City with something gigantic or something horrific or something monstrous happening in it. So it's it's really it's it's absolutely fascinating research. See, you and I call that research. Other people call that yeah. sitting around watching movies all day. But you know what? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I because I do have to go and do Google Maps and I have to look things up and really try to zero in on precise locations. And yeah, I'm looking up old monster magazines and seeing if I could find something that was mentioned. And I'm very familiar with Wikipedia. I understand that that is an open source that people can go in there and change the data. But I will go then go and try to clarify what I find on Wikipedia to make sure it's accurate. My attack map is my best guess, my best impression. And so far, no one has really called me out on anything. And, you know, I welcome being corrected. Uh, In fact, I even encourage it. I don't want to give anybody bad information. I've spent a lot of time playing with the attack map. Really? That's great. I'm so flattered. Yeah, I haven't seen anything that stood out as, I mean, it it all looks good to me. So, you know, and what I love about it like I said, we've got the classic monster stuff. We got Godzilla in here. You've got the Gorgo comic reference in here, and that's something I've never read. The Gorgo comic is it worth checking out, tracking down? Um, that's by the great Steve Ditko. He is um, the co-creator of Spider-Man. Yeah, and uh, he did a lot, and I mean a lot of monster comics back in the day when they were more popular. This is before our time but it was in the sixties and yeah, he did like the first maybe 10 issues or whatever. There is a bound book where you can get Steve Ditko's Gorgo run. It's bound. And if you want to buy a full price, go ahead. If you want to wait, I'm sure you can find good deals or buy a gently used copy. I think it is a fascinating time capsule. I think it is a fascinating time capsule that a lot of monster kids should at least look at if they get a chance to have it in their hands and flip through the pages. Because it's also very 60s. It references filmmaking techniques or there's a villain in there who looks a lot like this Asian general. He has a Fu Manchu mustache. Oh, no. And those are the kind... (laughs) Yeah, it was really strange. But those are the kind of villains they were making back then. It's just... And here you have giant monsters and he... Like, uh, instead of London, they said, okay, have him take out New York. So there are scenes of him attacking the UN. 
and of uh, I'm sorry, Gorgo is a she. I, well, anyway, well, yeah. the monster is attacking, and I was like, well, I can't resist this. And at best guess, if I keep on researching, I could actually double the size of that map and still not exhaust. I, I have like another 24 movies that I could start to tap into. There's that much content out there for me. There, there really is. And you've got, at least from the 50s on, well, you've got King Kong in here. So yeah, you, you go from the 30s and then even some of the more modern films, you've got Avengers. You listen to here, which uh, 2000, uh, well, 2000 something or other. So it's more of a modern movie. Yeah. New York seems to be the stomping ground of choice for a lot of these types of yeah. movies. And there are movies on this list that I've never seen that I need to see, like the Gorgo comic I need to read. I've never seen Q. I need to see Q. That's a good movie. You know, the poster always called out to me. That poster art's amazing. And when I see the still that you put on here, it's like, how have I missed this? This looks great. Siskel and Ebert liked that film. And I remember we watched at the movies or whatever the name of their show was back in the day. My father was laughing about how silly the movie looked. And then Siskel and Ebert, these film critics, get on the air and said, this movie's actually not bad. And uh, the actors did a, quite a decent job with the subject matter. And although it, it's it's silly about this post-apocalyptic Mexican death serpent of the apocalypse, uh, the movie actually was quite well made. And every time I bring it up, people go, oh, yeah, that was a good movie. And it had this wonderful stop motion animated Quetzalcoatl flying around and it made a nest in the Chrysler building. And it was, you know, the movie is an absolutely fantastic time capsule of New York City in the early 80s. You know, you get to see a lot of things that just aren't around anymore. Different color police cars and different you know, banks that aren't in business anymore. And so I personally found it rather fascinating. Somebody from, you know, a, a non-New Yorker would go, well, it's just an old movie and people have weird early 80s haircuts. But it's still fun. <laughs> so Michael Moriarty, I think that's that's who it was. He was so eccentric in that film that it, it was just weird enough to say, wow, that was a really eccentric performance. I kind of liked it. Please, everybody watch it. <laughs> You've put that further up on my list of movies that I need to see then. Oh, great. So there we go. There you go. You know, I want to talk about one more thing on the map here. Um, Please. It's not typical Monster Kid Radio Fair, but, you know, at my show, <laughs> Thundar the Barbarian. Isn't that great? I loved Thundar as a kid. I would watch that. I loved it. That first episode, the uh, the Secret of the Black Pearl, mm -hmm. takes place in and around the Isle of Manhattan. The, the big part, <laughs> the, the part of New York City with the big buildings is an island called Manhattan, you know, for those who, who aren't familiar, and that's fine. And here they said they called in in the world of Thundar, this post-apocalyptic world. They they said it in the isle, island of Manhattan. And there was a tribe there, and there was this evil wizard Gemini who's you know really oppressing the people. And then there was a weapon that could hurt him. And somehow Thundar got a hold of this weapon, and it became a big chase. And Gemini animated the Statue of Liberty, and it turned into this this flame-throwing giant super monster and it was just so cool and so fun and once again in, in trying to offer as much and as many obscure and weird giant monster new york city crossovers in this map i was like oh that's just that's buffo man i gotta put that in there so 
<laughs> no, thank you I for love noticing. That, that was a that was a great cartoon. Uh, Jack Kirby once again, the guy who drew Devil Dinosaur, as we mentioned earlier, and quite a bit more. He actually was on board with designing the artwork that was used to pitch the show. So there's a lot. I think there's even a, there's a Jack Kirby drawing on the attack map. And you can just look, you can Google search, you know, Jack mm-hmm. Kirby slash Thundar, and you'll see all this great production art. And you could see that the man was really uh, the master, yeah, Jack the King Kirby. And the series itself was created by Steve Gerber, who is the man yep. who wrote Howard the Duck, uh, co-created the yep. original Howard the Duck. Not necessarily the film. Uh, I don't think he was a big fan of the film. But <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the original Howard the Duck comics... Those are trippy. Man, they're trippy and they're great. Uh, He's no longer with us, unfortunately, but I did, you know, before he passed, like early 2000s, I actually exchanged a few emails with him and super cool guy, super nice guy. Can you imagine, though, that those two, Jack Kirby? Yeah. And the gentleman you just spoke about being on the same team. I mean, that that's those two just can't do any wrong. And if they do, who cares? It's just that level of creativity is amazing. That's yeah. just, I, it just leaves you drooling, absolutely godsmacked at, to have two legends like that in the same on the same project. It's, it's fascinating. Listeners, if you haven't seen it, if you're not a, a kid, if you didn't grow up watching cartoons as a kid or, or you haven't watched cartoons in forever, I think it's available on DVD now. I, just check out an episode or two. Just the opening title sequence. There's like a, a wrecked out subway, isn't there? And there's like a movie poster from like Jaws, something or other five, six, seven, or eight. Right. That is in the episode specific titles. Yes, there is a DVD compilation. You can go on to, you know, Amazon and you can get a gently used copy rather cheaply, or you can buy something brand new. And it's not that expensive either. Very, very good series. It's about maybe 18 episodes, a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. And yes, they do reference a, a New York city subway. And there was a picture of they, they do reflect, to a movie poster and it was Jaws and it was a just very very charming charming 1980s moment yeah <laughs> so it was and it was fun as a kid I didn't really really realize what I was watching but I mean, just wow just kind of mind-blowing to see these people involved it was yeah it was colorful it was entertaining it was heroic the monsters were neat it, it really drew you in so, you know go Thundar I'm surprised you know, it hasn't been picked up or rebooted since but you know, cartoons are expensive business, so. Well, true, true. Now, you recently did a presentation at a con about your map. I sure did. Uh, which con was that? Out in Long Island, where I grew up. It's called Icon. They've been around since the 80s. That was the first sci-fi convention I went to in 1986. And I have been going on and off since. And I've been collecting all of this data. And uh, the giant monster attack map is already about three, maybe four years old, and I've been doing all this research, and I have, you know, binders full of notes. And I'm like, you know, I really have a lot of, lot to talk about with New York City and, and giant monster movies. I'm like, well, maybe I should make a panel. And I, I started pitching it out, farming it out to libraries and coffee shops, and if they have the, the AV equipment that I need. And I, I wrote this convention. I'm like, you know, I have this family-friendly panel. It's called Giant Monsters Attack New York City, A History. And it's really nothing more than that. I just was offering to uh, hook up a laptop and take them through a PowerPoint presentation about how movies got made, why they did it in New York City, some of the things you and I have already touched on. And it eventually ends up on the New York City giant monster attack map, this interactive map. 
And it was very well received. I got a decent write-up in some group around here called Talking Comics. And the, the guy said I had nearly uh, a full room. And there was absolutely all eyes were on me. I have to, you have to understand, I've never done this before. I've never gone up and spoke before an audience. And I had absolutely everybody's attention. They were, they were laughing at jokes that I didn't even think were that funny. And I was just, I was killing them. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, it's beginner's luck. I'm going to get myself, you know, I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm going to keep on farming around this panel and seeing if I can do it in other places. But there were a lot of people who, there were a lot of young people in the audience who were interested in monster movies, but they didn't know that the the amount of monster movies that happened in New York City, and then like yourself, when I started showing them the map, they were like, oh my God, I forgot about that. I mentioned a movie called Chud. Yep. Not really an MKRS wheelhouse, but mentioning some of these more obscure films and the New York City tie-in, and I was really just like, whoa. I have paydirt here. <laughs> it's fun to do these. This was your first panel, huh? Absolutely first. Wow. Absolutely first. You inspired me. I have a really, really incredibly ugly floral t-shirt. It's not a Hawaiian shirt, but it's really quite tacky. And I wore that for my panel. Hey, there you go. So, <laughs> I know you said you, you mentioned, well, you mentioned Hawaiian shirts uh -huh. when you, uh, yeah, yeah. So yep. you're the guy in the room having the most fun. That's right. Either the Hawaiian shirt or a Monster Kid Radio t-shirt. That's my uniform. That's <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations. I you know, the, Oh, thank you so much. You sent me a link to the write-up, and I think that's great. And it's, it's addictive, man. Much. Once you start doing panels and things like this, it can be a lot of fun. Uh, and you said something at the very beginning of this about being an obsessive completist or something along those lines. Correct. Yeah. It's, right. It took me 10 months to catch every MKR episode, and um, I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, it's, it's, so. it's, it can be addictive to do these panels and go to these cons. And I'm always looking for opportunities here to introduce movies or, or be a panelist somewhere just to talk about this stuff and share the love, you know? Yeah. I really wish I lived uh, near you just to hear you speak and hear you introduce these films, but you've, you've actually broadcast some of your recordings. Some of them. Yeah. You, of you introducing the film, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Some of them. I, I haven't done one in a while. I need to get back out to the joy cinema at some point and do some. Cause that's, you know, I, I meet so many people who love these movies or don't love them the way that you and I do until they've had a chance to right. see them. And then, you know, it just becomes a shared experience and you start right. building community that way. Have people reached out to you about maybe doing this, panel somewhere else? Or are you kind of targeting other conventions in your area right now? I have been targeting other conventions. There is something in July that I might be going to Eternal Con. Um, hopefully they'll, they'll take me on board. I only did this panel about three weeks ago. Oh, wow. Okay. This is all fresh in my memory. I think I may have finally added, added that to my website that I was screened there, if you will. <laughs> so. Uh, obviously, the best place for for such a panel would be G Fest. That's in Chicago, and that focuses on all the you know the giant monster movies from Japan. The only thing I need to do is this is incredibly New York City specific, and there are people out there because the sports rivalries don't like New York at all. So oh. I have to say, okay, even if you don't like New York City, please come join the conversation about giant monsters uh, wrecking the place. It, it's come on, it's a, it'll be fun. <laughs> I, have to, I have to spin it to the audience. You don't like New York? Well, neither do these monsters. So let's go, you know. <laughs> right, Dave. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's, even if you hate New York City, come on. Well, it'll, I'll make you feel better about it. <laughs> I, I will justify your feelings. <laughs>
Um, you had some great uh, coverage of Monster Bash mm, in yeah. the Mars PA. Mm-hmm. I was planning to go to one of those events, and then you actually went. The money wasn't there, and I couldn't go. And you actually went, and I had been looking at the site, and you started interviewing all these people that I was relatively familiar with. Oh, yeah, I want to see that person. I want to see that person. I want to see that person. You you kind of went for me, and at least you talked about it on your show. Hmm. I was really pleased. So that, well, was, that was really cool. Hopefully that won't be the last time. And if anybody has a chance to go to Monster Bash, I highly recommend it. It's, it's fun. Yeah, I've never yeah. been to G-Fest, though, and I hear G-Fest is pretty amazing, too. And you know, you've... you've okay. You've just said, you've just stoked the fire for that for me too. I need to do that. Absolutely. I met the gentleman who runs Monster Bash. He goes to a show here called Chiller, and he opens up a pretty good booth, and he has a nearly inexhaustible depth of DVDs of movies that of obscure films. And to go to his booth and try to find some of these movies on your list, uh, it's a heck of a lot of fun. And like myself, he's just this incredibly unassuming man and he's so sweet and, and so enthusiastic. And then you interviewed him on your show and, um, it was really cool. I was really just pleased to see that nice people can actually make it and become, you know, I, I don't want to say media sensations, but, you know, become recognized in this subgenre as a bit of an authority. And I think he actually makes a living off of selling these movies and, from running the conventions, that's hard. That's, sure. that's very expensive. But what was the gentleman's name? Do you know who that was? Yeah, it's Ron Adams. And I think he Ron is Adams. one of those people who can put Monster Kid on his resume and mean it. I, I, right. <laughs> you know, because that's what right, he does. Right, right. Yeah. Right. But he's just such a nice man. And he's just so cool and very enthusiastic about the product. Very, very generous with his knowledge. And Yes, one day I will be at Monster Bash, and uh, I'll have a great time. So we've got the attack map, and you've got, got the attack map. you've got other projects that you're working on, potentially other cons. What else is in the future for Mark Bailey, Monster Kid? Um, I continue to make one short film a year. I'm working on a cartoon called It Came from the East River. <laughs> I'm setting it in a... <laughs> the East River is uh, on the east side of Manhattan. It's for a very polluted river. It's getting a little better, but uh, it's about a... a giant monster cat that comes out of the river and starts to uh, sack New York City, but it's going to be set in the 1880s or a fictitious 1880s. And how do you get rid of it? And I'm going to have, you know, instead of airplanes, I'm going to have dirigibles and balloons and he's going to climb. It won't be the Empire State Building, but it'll climb a building that's only about like maybe 40 stories tall. It won't be as big. And I have to weave a lot of comedy in there. Um, I'm having a really good time drawing all of these balloons um you know with a with a police symbol on it that are chasing this monster around so that's a heck of a lot of fun and i'm just going to go to a lot of conventions i won't be touching the attack map probably this year that is a very intense endeavor because i have to come up with enough films that fills out a row of buttons and this is going to get into tech speak which is beyond the patience of your listeners (laughs) <laughs> but it's something I won't touch on for a little while. And I'm just going to keep on uh, making some cartoons. I'm going to keep on watching some classic monster movies. That's really about it. You know, keep on listening to MKR. Oh, thank you. That's great. Uh, the one thing I do want to say, I think I congratulated yeah. you on your, your Rondo, but uh, I want your, your audience to know that um, you are the voice of 
of a genre and you know, you're an incredibly kind man and you're, you're very mm. patient and it's just, thank you. Thank you for you know putting all of this out there for being so approachable and for everything that you've done. And uh, we're all going to try very hard to get you your, your second uh, Rondo. That's humbling. Thank you. I, I appreciate oh, it. And, you know, and thank you for listening to the show and being part of the, mo- you know, I say this at the end of every show. It almost sounds like I'm just reading a script at this point because I say it every time, but thank <laughs> you for being part of the monster kid radio experience without you guys and gals listening. What am I doing? I'm just sitting here talking about monster movies to my cats. I mean, so right. thank you, which I'm sure they don't mind. <laughs> maybe <laughs> i don't know but no right. thank you for listening and being part of the show and you know listeners um mark's the real deal man check out his website and you know while we were talking i'm poking around your website here and i found a link to your professional site listeners mark has designed the cd art for an edwood themes cd collection yeah. come on <laughs> come on i mean we get this a monster kid making good right there come on yeah, I do. I do love Edward. That's one thing I've been studying quite a bit on my own. He's that's a fascinating director. He's not the worst director of all time. He no, is the not most, at all. He's the most famous bad director. Um, there's a very good book out there about the misadventures of cinematic misadventures of Edward, and uh, they went on to explain that there are so many films from the same era that are completely unwatchable. They're boring. There's just no redeeming qualities. And all of Ed Wood's films have this train wreck quality that that you just can't look away. I wrote a paper and made a presentation about Ed Wood to get through college. And I got an A in that class. So that's, uh, yeah, (laughs) I'm really, talk about Monster Kid. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that was, that was fun. I was just, and I had an audience. It was, it was a school, a trade school in inner city Manhattan and a lot of the kids there that I was in school with would ne- never know who this guy is. And they, they really enjoyed it. They were like, you know, this guy was a World War II vet who wore women's uh, undergarments while he was in battle <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, fighting the Japanese in Tarawa, which is one of the bloodiest conflicts in the war. And this guy's wearing uh, you know, panties and a bra. So, all right, it works. Hey, you know, whatever works, man. And that's... Yeah, Edward is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I, I've never seen this CD. Is it something I need to track down? This Ed Wood theme CD? That CD is fake. That CD is something oh, I no. put in my port. <laughs> that CD is something I put in my portfolio. I stitched together a number of different pieces of artwork from DVDs, but it looks real, doesn't it? Oh, hey, you fooled me there for a second. Right, right. So that's that means I did my job. Hey, there you go. No, it's um, I actually made a. It was for a class. Once again, you know, when you're in college and you like monster movies, you try to find ways to weave what you love into your homework. Yep. Yeah, you become a bit of a one-trick pony. But it's a really good trick. Right. All right, Mark, uh, I want people to check you out at foxtrotstudios.net. And if you're looking for a graphic designer, markforhotter.com. Check that out as well. <laughs> Thank you, you so know? much. Definitely. And we got to have you back on the show down the line. Maybe talk about some Ed Wood, talk about some Giant Claw. We should do the Giant Claw Summit. I like the idea of maybe doing a panel or, or a, a conference call or two. Yeah. That should be fun, like a little roundtable about the Giant Claw. So we should definitely do that sometime this year. That's a great idea. Well, Mark, thank you for being part of the show again. Thanks for being part of the audience. And no, 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 no. I keep watching the skies and, and watching out for those giant monsters in your area. I'd hate to see something happen. Me too, man. It's it's. Uh, hopefully, they've lost their appetite for New York City. <laughs> <laughs>
Again, foxtrotstudios.net is where you're going to find Mark's animations and the New York City giant monster attack map. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this as well. Big thanks to Mark for being part of the show this week. And I think you could tell. I had a lot of fun chatting with Mark. So, yeah, Mark, we'll have you back on the show down the line. It is safe to state that the grandchildren of some of the people in this dinner will not be born on Earth. They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead, zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the Earth. Plan 9 from outer space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electrode gun! No! No! Stop him, Dennis! I can't get it! It's jammed! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ship. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. Coming on stage, it's no show for sissies. See two out-of-this-world horror shows in person. See Dr. Ragnar and his Nightmare of Movie Monsters. You'll see the screen's latest and most horrible movie monsters alive in person. See the teenage Frankenstein, the fly, the colossal beast, the daughter of Dracula, Rodan, and the flying monster. These monsters are not on film, but alive in person on the stage and in the audience. See what happens when teenage Frankenstein meets Dragula's daughter. All this plus stage show number two spooks a poppin'. We warn you, this is the most on stage, in person, two blood warming horror shows. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day, when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Professor, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way, now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. 
So you know at the top of the show we were talking a little bit about the Rondo Awards. Well, while I was gone, the Rondo Award winners were announced for the 15th annual Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards First of all, from Monster Kid Radio, for me personally, congratulations to everybody and everything that won a Rondo this year. First of all, big shout out to director Cameron McCasland and writer-producer Larry Underwood, a.k.a. Dr. Gangrene. Their short film, H.P. Lovecraft's The Beast in the Cave, took home the Rondo Award for Best Short Film. That's awesome. If you haven't seen H.P. Lovecraft's The Beast in the Cave, well, I'm going to put it to you this way. When I posted about it on Facebook, I said, if you haven't voted for it, it's because you haven't seen it yet. If you get a chance to see it, highly recommended. I love me a good Lovecraft adaptation, especially when it's done as a period piece. And The Beast in the Cave does not have a lot of really hard to produce period piece elements, but it's a cool short little story that doesn't get a lot of love in the Lovecraft cinematography world, in the Lovecraft film world. So go check that one out. Now, I mentioned Larry. Guess what? He also won a Rondo for Best Column. His column is called The Doctor is Insane. It runs in Scary Monsters magazine. How cool is that? The guy was involved with two projects and got Rondos this year. He also happened to be a runner-up for Best Horror Host. Fellow podcaster Mark Maddox also took home the Rondo for Artist of the Year. I mean, he had three magazine covers up for Best Magazine cover. Come on. The guy does amazing work. And yeah, we're going to have him on the show down the line. I've been talking to him, and uh, I know I keep saying that. I I need to strike that from my vocabulary because I keep saying it and I never deliver. But yeah, I do mean it. Mark Maddox will be on the show in the future. What I'm most excited about is that thanks to you, the late lamented Vince Rotolo is now a member of the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. And I'm just going to read to you from the Rondo Award website. Podcasts often are hit and miss. On schedules, flexible formats, not so at the B-Movie cast, where the late Vince Rotolo, his wife, and crew discussed B-movies every Sunday. The show influenced many, including Derek Cook of Monster Kid Radio, who was a frequent guest and called him a mentor. Vince explained his passion this way. Just because you grow old doesn't mean you have to grow up. I'm thrilled. I am so thrilled that we got him into the Hall of Fame. That that is something that is well-deserved. The man did so much. And I'm going to say it again. I am convinced that genre podcasting, especially genre podcasting that deals with some of the more classic, obscure B-movie type material, would not be in the shape it's in today if not for what he did. So, Vince, congratulations. Well-deserved. So Monster Kid Radio did not take home the Rondo for Best Multimedia this year. That went to Joe Dante's Trailers from Hell, which is a pretty cool site. If you haven't looked up Trailers from Hell on YouTube, go check it out. It's an amazing idea. Basically, Joe Dante and friends have gone in and they take trailers from all of these movies and run a little commentary track over the trailer itself, a little bit of an intro and outro. Lately, it seems like they do less genre and retro material, especially when it's not Joe Dante doing the trailer from hell. But, you know, it's still fun, and I highly recommend it. Sometimes the people that talk about the movies may not be the biggest fans of the films, but they're always insightful and entertaining. So congratulations to them. Monster Kid Radio did get runner-up, along with Larry Underwood's The Fantastic Films of Vincent Price in that category. So thank you to everybody who supported Monster Kid Radio on this year's Rondos. It's cliche to say it, but it truly is just an honor to be nominated and to appear on this ballot alongside things like Trailers from Hell 
or the fantastic films of Vincent Price or Damn Dirty Geeks or Between Light and Shadow, a Twilight Zone podcast, which are two podcasts that got honorable mentions in the best multimedia site category. It really is an honor. And everybody who wrote to me saying they voted for me, not just in this category, but in another category as well, which I'm still a little uncomfortable admitting that you guys and gals tried to vote me in for Monster Kid of the Year. That's seems a little overwhelming and i don't know if i really deserve that but thank you for everybody who did that i appreciate it much appreciated and i'm looking forward to next year's rondo hatton classic horror awards well like i said at the top of the show in the introduction i actually recorded that before flying down to arizona i'm now back from arizona and yeah uh, the services for my brother went well as well as they could. I want to thank everybody who went on that journey with me via Facebook, Voxer, text messages, emails, calling, voicemails, all of that. Thank you so much. You guys and gals uh, are, are amazing. And just knowing that I had the Monster Kid radio community, the Monster Kid community with me in spirit made it just a little easier to do everything that we had to do. Uh, the services were, were pretty small, uh, not not a lot of people there, but that's okay. It was a more intimate service, and a number of us, myself, a couple of my brother's childhood friends, his wife, his daughter, all got up and, and spoke lovingly about Kevin Charles Cook and what he meant to us. And, and I want to share something here. I know nobody here, none of you really knew my brother. At least I don't think so. Anyway, he did appear on one podcast with me years ago when I was doing the zombie show. I think I've mentioned this before. He was on episode number 25 of Mail Order Zombie, which I am desperately trying to find a copy of because I want to make sure I can save that conversation that I had with him. That was two hard drive failures ago, so I don't have it right now, but it's got to be out there somewhere. Anyway, that episode was devoted to Night of the Living Dead, and he joined me to discuss the, at that time, brand new-ish 3D remake of Night of the Living Dead, which wasn't very good, but we talked about it, and it was a treat to actually bring my brother into my world. Growing up, he had my back on so many things. He was involved in so many of my movie-making projects. I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up, so I'd be running around town with a video camera, a whole bunch of special makeup effects makeup, actors and actresses, and some crazy idea for a movie. And more often than not, my little brother was there having my back. As I said at the service, some of the more crazy, dangerous things, up to and including the movie in which I set myself on fire, he was there. And honestly, I I wouldn't have done it if he wasn't there. Uh, He was a very important part of that part of my life as as well as just overall you know little brother you know anyway we always talked about having him on monster kid radio he was writing some zombie fiction himself and he wanted to come on the show to promote it and i always kind of hesitated because i had gotten out of the zombie thing but i I told him we could come up with some things that we can maybe talk about on monster kid radio sure we can promote the zombie thing as well as do something a little bit more monster kid radio wheelhouse e and we just never made it happen. That's, that's not because we didn't have any ideas. We had talked a little bit about having him come on to talk about the Monster Squad from the 1980s. Because my brother and I are both part of Generation X, me more so than him. He's right on the tail end of it. That movie probably is the most Monster Kid-centric film to come out during that time. And, and at one point, we talked about having him come on to talk about that. 
obviously that didn't happen. So in honor of my brother, I'm going to play the trailer for the Monster Squad. I'm also going to play the trailer for the movie Matinee. Now that came out in 1993 and that was a movie that my brother and I went to go see together. He actually took me to see that movie when it came out, which is something that I had kind of forgotten about. It actually occurred to me on the way back from Arizona that that's kind of how that happened. So Ah, you know, in honor of my brother, Kevin Charles Cook, who left us way too soon. I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer for The Monster Squad and Matinee, and then I'll come back and we'll wrap up the show. You know who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're The Monster Squad. What's a squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. 2,000-year-old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh! Look at that big, scary monster! What's happening? Do I see a werewolf? Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Something down there is killing people. Monsters. Nobody's gonna do a thing about it but us. Uh, the creatures of the night show. Real monsters? Us? Midnight in the world, remember? Maybe we can be like Masquad and Stingy. Two mask bombs. Yeah, 235, sit back up. Hurry up! squad. The book is right. Don't you see it's all true? By midnight, you got me. They won't seem so young anymore. The Monster Squad. Wolfman's gone. The ant's saliva must have gotten into Bill's bloodstream and gone straight to his brain, just as the radiation, which is measured in units called Rentkins, was released. And that's how he became a... Mant. Gotcha! For the kids of Key West, Florida, there was nothing scarier than a monster matinee. Lawrence Wolsey, the master of movie horror, exterminates you with Mant. The story of Matt is based on scientific fact, on theories that have appeared in national magazines. But in the fall of 1962... A series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on the island of Cuba. They got the biggest scare of all. The country is on red alert. And what a perfect time to open a new horror movie. That'd be the best show to take a girl to. The whole world's gonna blow up anyway, so we should just do whatever we want. You know, last guy she went out was in her farm school. He did teach me a lot. What about? About my body. Think if the bomb were about to fall, she'd do it with me. <laughs> Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Some of it's stage lighting, some of it's magic show stuff, but the big studios, none of them have anything like it. Never ever turn one above six. This is it! From Joe Dante, director of Gremlins. You see what he's putting back? The showmanship. The bombs are falling! 
You think this is some kind of picnic for me? Oh, I'm still concerned about that bomb thing. Little question of taste? No, no, but your younger patrons, you could have some seat wetness. John Goodman. I love this business. Matinee. Man, I'm seeing this twice. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Apologies for being just a little bit late. Thank you for your understanding. Next week, though, we're back on track with an episode coming out either Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, depending on how long it takes for me to put the finishing touches on the final edit of a conversation that I'm having with monster movie makers, Christopher R. Mim and Mitch Gonzalez. I've got a nice long form interview with those two coming up. That's going to be coming out next week on the show. After that, well, you're going to want to head over to our Facebook page because this time I mean it. This weekend, I'm going to go ahead and post what you can expect on the next few episodes of Monster Kid Radio. So head over there, facebook.com slash monsterkidradio. That's our Facebook page. If you're a Facebook user, please consider liking the page. would love to get some more likes in there before we get to Halloween just because Halloween's kind of like our, well thing and then of course you can always join the facebook group and get involved with conversations with other listeners of monster kid radio between episodes or as i say even while you listen now links to this can be found on our website at monsterkidradio.net where you can also find everything else you need to know about monster kid radio between episodes up to and including our contact information our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com and you can email me your thoughts or if you want to create an mp3 like rod did earlier in the show you can email it to me there or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. It's 503-4795-MKR. So if you want to get a hold of us and have any comments about this episode or any of the previous 315 or so, that's how you do it. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio, there's a link for you to do that there. We also have a Patreon page, and with everything that happened, I'm not going to be able to do the monthly executive producer roll call. I'll do the roll call next week for the patrons who've supported Monster Kid Radio at that executive producer level or higher for April. So that'll be coming next week as well. We've got links to every band that's appeared here on the show and you know just everything else. Anything that you need about Monster Kid Radio, there it is. Or you can just find me. I'm on Facebook or email. Or you, you know how this works. You know, and I want to get this out. So until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Twingzilla. That belongs to the band Doily and the Twing Lords. It's on their upcoming album, Twing Solo, which will be coming out here very soon. You can pre-order the album right now by going to Diablo Records' Bandcamp page. It's diablorecordsuk.bandcamp.com. Pre-order the album, 10 pounds, 20 songs. And with songs titled things like The 4D Man, The Puppet Master, and The Day of the Triffids, you know they're monster kids. Go support them and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. I'm Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. Godzilla, king of the monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, king of the monsters. <laughs>